For our scripture reading this morning, we are continuing in our summer series in the Psalms, and this morning we are reading from Psalm chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible here this morning with you, I encourage you to grab the Pew Bible right there in front of you on the back side of the pew, and our scripture reading comes on page 532 in the Pew Bible. Psalm 10, a psalm that David has written. Listen to the word of the Lord. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boast of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages, in hiding places. He murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account, but you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word. We thank you for the testimony of David here in Psalm 10. And now, Lord, we ask that it would be used by you to penetrate our hearts. So give us open minds, hearts willing, ready to listen and hear your word this morning. I ask for your help as well in preaching this psalm of David here. And so may your word go forth and may it not return void. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Our psalm today deals with the way of the wicked and the problem of injustice that plagues our world today. Injustice happens in our world. We we see injustice daily in the news and in social media, and now perhaps some of you have even seen it expressed in the movie Sound of Freedom. Oftentimes, the wicked win, and the victims of their evil are crushed. They are oppressed. Injustice not only happens in the world, but it also happens in our lives. Have you ever been wronged by someone? Have you ever been unfairly treated by someone, and there's been nothing to be made right about it? No wrong has been made right. But what makes the situation even more painful is when the wicked continue their campaign of evil and they just seem to get away with it. And all of this kind of makes you step back and wonder, where's the justice? Does God, does he not see the injustice in our world? Does he not see the injustice that even sometimes happens in our own lives? Now, we're not the first believers 
to feel like this. We're certainly not the first believers to ask questions like this. David here in Psalm 10 honestly addresses the same issue. In fact, let me just share with you up front the main point of what David is writing here in Psalm 10 is this. The way of the wicked, here's the truth that David wants us to take away, is the way of the wicked is not hidden from the eyes of God. And because that is true, we then, as Christ followers, we should should pray with confidence for divine justice because the Lord is the eternal king. Now, what we see in this psalm are two very different worldviews that lead to two very different ways of living. The wicked here in this psalm deny that God sees all. Whereas the righteous testify that God sees all. The worldview of the wicked is found in verse 11 when he says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. And this worldview about God then leads to the wicked's continued evil and mistreatment of the helpless, the poor, the innocent, as they are referred to in this psalm. The worldview of the righteous is found in verse 14, when David says, But you, God, you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. And and this worldview leads to an action. It leads the righteous to pray confidently for God's justice. And so David writes this psalm here, Psalm 10, from the belief that God sees all. David is confident that God is the eternal, sovereign king of the world. He's confident that nothing is hidden from his eyes, including the way of the wicked. At the same time, though, David is very perplexed. In fact, he is he's brutally honest about the turmoil that's now raging in his heart. David sees the the way the wicked triumphing all around him. He sees the wicked mistreating the poor and the innocent, the helpless, the fatherless. And and David is having a hard time making sense of it all in light of what he believes about his God. You see, David believes God sees all. But David also looks out and he sees all this injustice around him. And he's perplexed by it. In fact, he's he's perplexed by by what he knows to be true about God and by what he sees in the world around him. We might summarize David's perplexity this way. Notice it in your notes and on your screen. If God sees all, then why does he seem so distant from the afflicted? And why does he seem so indifferent to the wicked? This perplexity now causes David to cry out to God in what is called a lament. And here in Psalm 10, we come to one of the first laments of the Psalms. In fact, Psalm 10 through 11, 12, 13, 14 are all lament Psalms. And here David, it cries out a lament in verse 1, right off the bat with this question. He says, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And the question of why almost always describes a situation in our lives of of anguish and despair. And in this particular psalm, David is showing his own anguish. He's revealing for us his own despair when he cries out with this question. Two questions in particular. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? After all, according to verse 2, it's in arrogance that the wicked are hotly pursuing the poor. And so then he proceeds to plead with God in the rest of verse 2, God, let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. Now David's questions of why, you can almost feel it, they're pregnant with anguish and despair. You see, the problem for David, as I might imagine it is with most of us here this morning, is not just the 
injustice that he sees in the world. The problem David has is the injustice and God's seemingly lack of intervention, doing something about it. You see, David sees the wicked, wicked hotly pursuing the poor. And it appears that God doesn't care about it. It appears that God is unaware about it because God isn't doing anything at all about the injustice that is taking place in David's world. Where's the God of justice? Because if God, if he saw and if God heard what the wicked were doing, then surely God would act. Surely God would deliver the afflicted. Surely God would act in judgment on the wicked. After all, as we learned last Sunday in Psalm chapter 9, David has just declared in verse 9 that God is a refuge in times of trouble. But that is not the reality that David sees for the afflicted. So God seems distant from the troubles of the afflicted. God seems indifferent to the way of the wicked. And this is perplexing to David's faith in God. And it causes him to cry out in a lament. In fact, he asked two questions. We looked at it. Notice the first question again. He says, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? And so David is deeply perplexed that, that God seems like he's too far removed from what is happening on the earth. And, and what's interesting about this question is the word that David uses for the name Lord. That name there for Lord, it is the personal name Yahweh. It is a very powerful name, Yahweh. It is the name that means I am. I am the I am God. It's the name that God gave to Moses at the burning bush. And so this is the same God who has delivered his people from bondage in Egypt. It's the same God who has defended his people in the promised land. But right now, in this very moment in David's life, God seems like he is standing far away. It feels as if, God is distant from the affliction of his people. And then David asks, why, why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? You see, it's not just that God is standing far away. David feels as if God is actually hiding himself from the troubles of the afflicted and the way of the wicked. And this is all very perplexing. It's baffling. In fact, it's causing anguish in his soul despair in his heart. Now, before we dive in to the rest of Psalm 10 here, I want you to see that David's lament does not stem from his doubt in God, but rather from his faith in God. You see, David's why questions here presupposes faith. If there were no faith in God, why ask why? Yes, David is perplexed. David is very perplexed by what he sees and what he knows about God. He's perplexed over how God can tolerate such injustice among his people, and yet, and yet, what does he keep doing? He keeps pleading with God in verse 2. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. In fact, we are to read this psalm in connection with Psalm 9, because the two psalms go together. Psalm 9 and Psalm 10 are linked together. And in Psalm 9, as we saw last Sunday, shows us who our God is. He is the sovereign king of the world who judges the world with righteousness. And that, that truth, that reality that David believes about God is now what leads him to cry out to God, here in Psalm 10. Listen, if God were not the God of Psalm 9, there would be no expectation for God to act. But because of who God is, specifically the God of Psalm 9, there's now this desperate pleading on his behalf with God to now act as the sovereign king of the world. 
And so do not conflate this. Do not confuse this. David is not lamenting. He's not asking these why questions out of doubt in his God, but because of his faith in God. David is perplexed by God, but he still pleads with God. He doesn't use God's baffling him as an excuse for abandoning God or disengaging with God. No, it becomes his motive. It becomes his incentive to press on with God in faith. Now, this is critical for us. As followers of Christ here this morning, this is crucial for our own spiritual journeys. Listen, when we pour out our hearts to God, when we pour out our hearts before God in the reality of our own anguish, of our own despair, of our own troubles, we, we are lamenting when we do that. This is why the Psalms in particular are so loved by so many Christians. Sometimes, let's be honest, we are perplexed by God. And David is showing us here in verse 1 that it is okay to be perplexed at times. It's okay to even cry out to God and lament. But David, do not miss this, also shows us that we must not stay in verse 1. We need to move on past verse 1. We need to move on to the end of Psalm 10 here where David sees and he renews his heart on the focus of who God is. And we see here, as David sees, that this is a God who sees all and a God who does all to make all things right. So let's dive into it now. What do we learn from this psalm of David here about the way of the wicked and the injustice that not only was rampant and plagued David's world, but let's be honest, it still plagues our world today. So what do we learn? How should we respond to what we know to be true about God and yet what we see all around us? Especially as the sound of freedom has made so explicitly clear. In just one area of life. Number one, we learn that we can expect to live in a world terrorized by the wicked. That's reality. And that's reality because we live in a fallen, sinful, broken world. But we need to ask the question and answer the question, who are the wicked exactly that David is referring to here? After all, David uses this word wicked no less than five different times here in Psalm 10. So who are the wicked? Well, this Hebrew word describes the wicked as, quote, morally wrong. That is, the wicked are are guilty of violating God's law in particular, and they are now condemned by God because they have violated God's law. Now, please don't sit there and think, man, I'm glad I'm not part of that group. By definition, we are all in the category of the wicked. For we are all guilty of violating God's law. This is why we need a Savior. This is why we need Jesus. This is why God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our wickedness so that we can now be covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But here in verses 2 and 11, what we have is now a profile of the attitude and the actions of the wicked. In fact, this is one of the most exhaustive profiles or characteristics that you will ever find in all of Scripture about the wicked. Notice that, first of all, the wicked are rooted in outrageous arrogance. The terror and trouble the wicked cause in this world, it flows out of their outrageous arrogance. Listen, they think they are invincible. They think they're untouchable. They live as if God does not exist. And so just notice some of the words that David uses to describe the wicked here. Verse 2, arrogance. Right off the bat, in arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they had devised. 
boast, the word boast in verse three, for the wicked boast of the desires of his soul in the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. Pride here in verse four, in the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him, that is God. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Verse five, you see this word puffs or sneers. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments, speaking of the judgments of God, your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them or he sneers at them. He mocks them. And then verse six, we have the self-confidence of the wicked. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. Wow, what, what, what arrogance. What, what pride bound up in the heart of the wicked. And yet the wicked are thoroughly deceived about themselves, but mostly they are deceived about God. Second of all, we learn that the wicked are filled with abusive speech. One of the most common weapons of, of intimidation, even today, this is true, are words. And the wicked, we are told here, use their mouths to wage war on the helpless. Their mouths are filled with abusive and violent speech. According to verse 7, look what it says. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. And so pride, get this, pride in the heart leads to hatred in our mouths, and eventually it will almost always then lead to violence on our hands, which brings us to the third characteristic or profile. The wicked are occupied with this aggressive violence about them. Just look how the wicked attack the innocent, the helpless, and the poor here in verses 8 and 9. Look how David describes it for us. He says he sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. And then notice the outcome of their violence in verse 10. The helpless are what? It says they are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. Listen, the wicked, the wicked are treacherous. And what makes their evil so flagrant is that it's intentional. This is not accidental at all. This is planned out, thought out, and intentional violence against the helpless, the innocent, and the poor. And they have no remorse about them, that the helpless are actually being crushed by their violence, by their acts. And, of course, all of this brings us to number four, the fourth profile here. The wicked are led by their delusional thinking in verse 11. The arrogance of the wicked, it expresses itself in their disregard for the helpless. But their core problem is their utter disregard for the Lord. According to verse 11, this is what they say in their heart. This is what they believe in their heart. In other words, this is their world view. This is how they think. This is how they live. God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. In other words, they no longer sense any accountability to the Creator to God, the sovereign king. And so the wicked now give free reign to the violence in their heart, but they are delusional in their thinking. They, they mistake God's patience with evil for God's lack of interest in justice. As Charles Spurgeon writes, this cruel man, referring to the wicked, comforts himself with the idea that God is blind or at least forgetful. And then he adds, this is a fond and foolish fancy indeed. Why? Because a day of reckoning is coming. Listen, the wicked will not always prosper. The wicked will not always win the day. There is a rider on a white horse that is coming. His name is Jesus, and he is on his way to judge the wicked and deliver the righteous. 
But until that day, until that day of reckoning comes, what, what can we do when we live in a world that is terrorized and troubled by the wicked? Well, here's what we can do. And David tells us. We can do exactly what David did. We can turn to the Lord. David himself makes a rather important turn here in verse 12. A turn where he himself, he calls on God in prayer. He declares his confidence in God's justice. And again, this turn... If I may just put this out there, it is critical and crucial for us. David, we have, we have seen, he cries out to God in lament. He, he acknowledges how he felt with his why questions, but David doesn't stay there. He doesn't put down his pen and leave Psalm 10 with one verse, verse 1. He he turns to God. He puts his hope in God. And this is what we must do as well when we see injustice all around us in our city, across our nation, and around the world, and even when we feel or experience injustice personally. Two things we can do as David did. Number one, or second of all in your notes here, we can pray for God's deliverance and judgment. We can pray for God's deliverance and judgment. Now remember, David believes something about God. He believes that God sees all. And yet, David himself sees all the injustice around him. And it seems like, it seems as if God is distant from the afflicted. It seems like God is even indifferent to the ways of the wicked. And so David's deeply troubled by the exploits of the wicked and their callous arrogance toward the Lord, especially since they think to themselves, they believe in their own hearts, God has forgotten. God has hidden his face. God will never see us do what we do and how we live. But then David turns his eyes to the Lord in faith, hope, and prayer when he cries out in verse 12, and this is the turning point, Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. And I just love what David does here because he is giving assurance to the afflicted. And notice it on the screen and in your notes, David's assurance here. The wicked think God has forgotten. The wicked believe God has forgotten, but David assures us that God has not forgotten the wicked nor the afflicted. Now, let's just be honest here for a moment. It is is rather easy to wallow in the why questions of verse 1. It is... It's easy to find ourselves in anguish and in despair like David, and it's easy to find ourselves kind of wallowing in that despair and anguish and even begin to think God has forgotten when he seems distant from the afflicted and indifferent to the wicked. But the wicked are mistaken when they think God has forgotten and listen, we, we can easily think the same thing. We, we can think that God has forgotten too. God has forgotten about me. He's forgotten about my circumstances, my, my situation. God has forgotten about my own injustice, my own troubles in this world that is being caused by the wicked, by my boss, my employer, by this or that, whatever it is. We can easily wallow in verse 1 and think what the wicked think. God has forgotten. God has forgotten. But David assures us here that God has not forgotten the wicked, nor has he forgotten the afflicted in the rest of this psalm. Therefore, 
When you believe that about God, that he has not forgotten, that is the incentive, that is the motive then to turn to God in prayer. Notice the prayer of the afflicted. First of all, call on God to intervene. Call on God to intervene. David pleads here with God to intervene in verse 12 when he says, Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. In other words, he's calling on God, Take action, Lord. Do something here. Intervene. In fact, this word arise that David uses, it is a call to stand up and act. In this phrase, lift up your hand, it suggests a warrior raising his hand in battle. Now, many times it seems that God is not doing that. Many times God does not seem to be acting, and it is rather agonizing to watch the wicked get away with evil. Can't understand. Why Why would God allow this to happen? Why would God still allow all the injustice in the world to take place? And the right response is to turn to God in prayer and to ask him to step in and intervene by delivering the afflicted and judging the wicked. Number two, believe that God sees all. Believe that God sees all. David says in verse 13, why why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? And David, he's almost asking the question for his own heart, and then he responds, because he knows the answer, he knows the truth about God, and he responds in verse 14, but God, God, you do see, although so important, he's reassuring himself here, but God, you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. And so the beauty of what David's doing here in prayer to God, and understand Psalm 10 here, all this whole thing is a prayer. It starts off as a lament, but it ends in praise. But all of it is a prayer to God. And what David is doing here is beautiful because in essence, in this prayer, He is preaching to his own heart. Do you notice verse 14 here? It is full of faith in God. He reassures himself that God does see. God does know. God does care. And this is why, this is why the helpless does what? Commits themselves to God. And this idea of commits themselves is is you're putting your life completely in the hands of God. David looks back at what God has done in the past. In fact, he even says it in his prayer here. He says, God, you have been the helper of the fatherless. This is what you've done in the past, Lord. David believes that. And he also now believes that because God did that in the past for the helpless, God will do that in the present for the helpless. In fact, this word that David uses, helper, it is a word that is used numerous times in Scripture to describe our God. He's a helper. And it means that God is able to do for the helpless what they cannot do for themselves. And then finally, we not just call on God to intervene, we don't just reassure ourselves in prayer to believe that God sees all and does all and cares. But number three, we also in prayer, we recommit our trust in God's justice. You see, the helpless and the fatherless, especially in David's day, but it is true even in our day, they are some of the most vulnerable and most easily taken advantage of group of people in any society. And for this reason, the helpless and the fatherless are especially on God's radar. Listen, God God cares passionately about the way the helpless and the fatherless, that is the orphans, he cares how they are treated. 
You can read about this in the Old Testament, specifically in the laws of Moses, where, where God promised to protect the weakest among his people, and he actually warned that he would take up their case. Read it in Exodus chapter 22. But as David looked around, it's not what he's seeing. As David looked around, he, he saw the injustice. He, he saw the affliction of the helpless and, and the fatherless. And so he calls on God now to be true to his word and to act decisively against the wicked. Look what David calls on God to do in verse 15. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. Wow. That phrase, breaking the arm, it is an expression for breaking the power of the wicked. This is a very bold plea by David for God to stop evil in its tracks. In other words, David is praying, Lord, Lord, take the wicked out. Take them down. Why? Because David longs for divine justice here. Listen, he has seen how the wicked have denied human justice to the helpless. And now David wants the wicked to experience divine justice in its fullest measure. So what can we do in a world like our world today that is terrorized and troubled by the wicked? Are we without any resources? Are we to wallow in our misery? Are we to just pack it up and call it quits? No. Listen, we can do what David did. David is showing us here in Psalm 10 that we can, we can pray. And we can pray specifically for God's deliverance of the wicked and judgment on the wicked or deliverance of the afflicted, I should say. And like David number three here, we can be confident in the Lord's justice. It's interesting to see or to note how this psalm begins versus how it ends. David began this psalm perplexed by, we might characterize it this way, basically the issue with David comes, God's justice is delayed. He's perplexed by the delayed justice of God. But he now ends this psalm with praise in God's justice. He is confident and hopeful in the coming justice of God. So how did David move from being perplexed in verse 1 to now being confident here at the end of Psalm 10? How did he move from this state in his heart to overhear this state of praising God for his justice, when just a few verses earlier, he is in anguish, he's in turmoil, and he is perplexed by the delayed justice of God. And yet you find him here in verse 10, and he is now confident, and he is praising God for his justice. How do you get from here to here? Because I don't know about you, this isn't just David's issue. If you're a Christ follower here, this is all of our issues. We struggle with this. And how David moved from here to here, he shifted his focus from asking why to resting in who. Specifically, who God is. Notice David's answer for the afflicted here in your notes. David's answer to the why question is to rest in who God is. And who is God? Who is our God? He is the Lord and he is king forever and ever. And so now David comes full circle when he declares here in verse 16, the Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his, his land. This is true no matter what the wicked are doing right now. The Lord is king. 
He is king forever and ever. As Alan Ross, one commentator, writes, this present evil age is temporary and limited, but the Lord's reign is eternal and universal. In fact, the kingship of God is a major theme of Psalm 9. We looked at that last Sunday, where the throne of God is referenced no less than three different times. And now, what is David doing here at the end of Psalm 10? He is returning to that reality again. He started with that in Psalm 9. In the middle of it, he is perplexed, but now he returns there at the end of Psalm 10. Yes, in the middle, David is perplexed by God's delayed justice. He's in despair by the injustice that he sees. He's in despair and he questions why God seems to be so different and distant to it all. But he doesn't stay there. Please see that. David knows, he knows within his heart that the answer to his why questions ultimately rests in who God is. The Lord is king, and he is king forever and ever, regardless of what the wicked are getting away with today. The wicked may have their day, but not forever. They come and they go, but God sits enthroned now and forever, and His justice will triumph. And this reality that the Lord is King forever and ever, it leads David to now end on this vibrant crescendo of praise to God. Look at it in verses 17 and 18. Oh Lord, You hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so the man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. And so look at the praise. We, can, we might define it this way or outline it twice this way. First of all, the Lord hears the cries of the afflicted. That is so sweet. That is so comforting to know that our God hears the cries of the afflicted. David is certain, he says, that the Lord hears the desire of the afflicted and, and he will strengthen their hearts. So isn't it interesting that in verse 1, David asks, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And in that moment, God seemed distant from the afflicted, but now what is David doing? It's a reverse God no longer seems distant from the afflicted. God, David is praising God for listening to our cries for justice and our prayers of pain. God does hear. God hasn't forgotten. He hears and he knows and he cares. And then second of all, the Lord makes all things right. In verse 18, David says, Our God is the God of justice who will, notice it, who will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed. And again, the most vulnerable and most mistreated will have their day in court. The divine court of the Lord, who is king forever and ever. And as a result of that, David says the wicked will terrorize no more the helpless. You know what this means? This means you and I, we can be confident. We can walk out the door today confident that tyranny is coming to an end. Yeah, the wicked, the wicked think they are invisible, but they cannot be more wrong. Listen, the Lord is king forever and ever. And a day of judgment is coming when he will make all things right. This is a wonderful truth. And the wonderful truth is that the power of evil has already been broken at the cross of Jesus Christ. Listen, listen to how Paul describes it in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. He's, Paul says that on the cross of Jesus, that Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. So be encouraged here this morning 
that in a world where the wicked seem to be winning the day, our Lord is king forever and ever. In evil, it will come to an end in God's final judgment when Jesus Christ returns. Until that day of judgment on the wicked, until that day of deliverance for the righteous, the Lord, and I love this, don't miss this, the Lord will do something for you. David says that the Lord will strengthen your heart. He will strengthen you. He will uplift you. He will sustain you to do what? To persevere in your faith. To not give up in your faith journey. Do not walk out and abandon God. He will strengthen you and to do what David did. So the live it out lesson here of Psalm 10 is simple. It is to commit ourselves to God in times of trouble. And it is to put our hope in his eternal rule and reign. Listen, will there be times when you find yourself perplexed by God's ways? Absolutely. Absolutely. Every single one of us here will go through times where we are, we are just baffled and we are perplexed, specifically here in Psalm 10, by God's delay of deliverance of the righteous and judgment on the wicked. And like David did, let me just assure you that it is okay to be honest with God about your anguish and despair and turmoil raging in your own heart by what you see. Listen, we don't pretend all is well when it is not well. We we can come to God with bold cries of lament like David did. As Andrew Wilson put it, people aren't big enough to absorb your grief, but God is. And yet, and yet, we must not live in verse 1. We must not live in the why questions about what God is doing or God is not doing in the moment. We must keep going until we find rest for our souls in who God is as the eternal sovereign king. So don't despair by all the injustice you see in this world or even by the injustice that you personally are experiencing at the hands of the wicked. Rather, you commit yourself anew and afresh to the God who sees all and you put your hope in His eternal rule and reign. And if you need be, you wake up each morning or you go to bed each night and you read Psalm 9 and Psalm 10 Together. And may God show you, and may you see the ups of David's praise, the cries of his anguish, the prayer for deliverance and judgment, and most of all, his confidence in God's justice. For the end is coming, Christ is on his throne, and he one day will make all things right. And until that day, be assured, leave here. Walk out this door knowing that he will strengthen your heart to persevere and to keep doing what is right that honors the Lord. With your heads bowed, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word here this morning to us in Psalm 10. Thank you for the truth that David reveals about who you are. May it grip our hearts and lift up our souls, knowing that you are Lord and you are King forever and ever, and a day is coming when you will make all things right. Until that day, Lord, would you give us the grace, even now, in the quietness of our own hearts in this moment, to commit ourselves to you and to put our hope in your eternal rule, not in our government, not in our jobs, not in what we can come to in our own selves, but in you and in your eternal rule and reign. Lord, help us to see this. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask Cody to come on up. Cody, 
Turnier, and uh, before we close out our service, we have an opportunity to just celebrate uh, a young man coming into the membership of our church. This is Cody, if you haven't ever met Cody. Cody's been attending our church now for about two and a half years, and at that time, he received Christ as his Lord and Savior at home, um, really through the influence and testimony of Angela Ramfall, and uh, back during COVID or right out of COVID, and was watching uh, our worship service through Facebook Live, and when we were going through Zechariah, and, uh, and just came to the realization, I need Jesus as my Savior, and prayed to receive Christ, and then not too long after that, I had the opportunity to baptize him back here in the baptismal, and uh, he went through our new members class uh, that we had last year, and now he is ready to make this public and uh, just commit himself to membership in our church. And Cody, I'm just so excited. I am. You mean, he comes regularly, and I'm excited he's making this commitment. And, uh, and it took a little while for him to come to this, and that's okay. We gave you plenty of space to do that. And every once in a while, I'd come, Cody, have you thought about joining? Yeah, I'm still thinking, still thinking. And, uh, but through it all, he has stuck it out. And I'm just so excited. And, uh, and so, Cody, uh, what's happening here is, is uh, we're, we're presenting you to membership. And you all, we're asking you to make the same commitment back to him as he makes to us. So I want to read this. It's coming up on the screen. This is our membership covenant. And, uh, and so, Cody, having received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and Lord, having been baptized in water by immersion in a church of like faith and practice, in being in agreement with LifeBridge's statement, strategy, and structure, I believe that the Holy Spirit is leading me to unite with the LifeBridge church family. And in doing so, I commit myself to God and to the other members by fulfilling the following commitments by God's grace. Is that your desire here this morning, Cody? Amen. And our commitments that he is making to you, you are making to him. You see him up there on the screen. Is that I will protect the... In fact, why don't we say these out loud together? Would you join me and let's just let's re- recite these together. I will protect the unity of my church. I will share the responsibility of my church. I will serve the ministry of my church. I will support the testimony of my church. I will safeguard the purity of my church. And I will submit to the authority of my church. All right, Cody, you can have a seat right here. We're gonna, Jeremy, want you to come on up. And we're going to close out our service in a song of worship to Jesus Christ, our Savior. And then Cody's going to be standing up here afterwards. Come by and welcome him. But give him a, some space. Maybe he'll let you hug on him. I don't know, or a handshake. And, but just welcome him into the, our family here at LifeBridge. And Cody, I want you to know I love you. I'm so thankful for this. Thankful for what God has done and is doing and will continue to do in your life. Amen. Sing it, Jordan. We'll sing praises to our God.